G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Pod Slam 103 with uh, Matt Rowley. We're sponsored by strike.com.au, GPS tracking, keeping your assets in check, whether it's one vehicle or a fleet of 10,000. Uh, joining me, Scott Allen. Mate, how are you? Good, Matt. Good. Good to be on again. Yeah, well, we were just having a little chat before you came on, just saying uh, it's, on a, it's upon us. It's here. Yeah, hasn't it snuck up? <laughs> We've been talking about this forever. It's, it's, yeah, that it's just around the corner, and, and here it is. Yeah, and as we were saying, you know, we were suddenly looking at all the dates and saying, hang on, that's, that's this week, and that's next week, and <laughs> hang on, we're, we're within a week of it all happening. Yeah, if, if anyone out there has been under a stain, obviously we're talking about the Lions, um, but it's always been something that, yeah, we just had you know, months in the way or days in the way, and now it is here. So they're on a plane on their way to Hong Kong, right? Yeah, left today. They... they there were pictures uh, on Twitter overnight of them having a big send-off dinner mm-hmm. um, at, at some very old place in London. Right. So, uh, and they were all there, bar one, who didn't make the plane. Yeah. Well, geez, what what news there? I mean, is it, it depends how you look at it. Whether that's a you want to say a cruel twist of fate because he kind of brought it on himself. But um, Dylan Hartley, who is the New Zealand-born England hooker. Uh, who I guess was actually a bit of a surprise inclusion for some people, right? Because I think a lot of people thought uh, Rory Best, the Irish hooker, would make it in. Um, but he, yeah, so Hartley was in the squad, but then what did he do? He, he ended up swearing at a ref, didn't he? Yeah, look, it was a series of things. Um, just before halftime in the Aviva Premiership final, and uh, the Northampton guy was trying to take, um, I think it was a kickoff. And Wayne Barnes, who was refereeing the game, said to him, you cannot kick this out on the full. We're going to play. Time's up, but Mm. I've decided that it's going to be a play. You can't put it out. And he told the guy three or four times. He then kicked it out on the full. So he said, okay, well, I told you. We're going to have a scrum now. Um, And so Northampton were all upset about that. There was a fair bit of angst going on. Packed a scrum. And uh, he awarded a penalty to Leicester, um, you know, sort of after the halftime break. Mm. Uh, as it's all breaking up, and sorry, two minutes before that, Wayne Barnes had warned Hartley, who was the captain of Northampton, about some of the language he was using, directed at the referee and basically said, don't talk to me like that. That's not how a captain should behave. If you don't stop it, then I'm going to do something. Well... Apparently, as the scrum broke up and the penalty uh, is awarded, he called Wayne Barnes a fucking cheat. <laughs> now he and Wayne Barnes reacted immediately and gave him a red card, sent him off. Yeah. Um, Hartley's protesting his innocence, saying, "No, no, no! I was saying it to Tom Youngs, who was the opposition hooker down on the ground." Yeah. Um, it you know the video footage that I saw, you can't say definitely where where the spray was directed, but yeah. it had been going on earlier in the first half. Right. Well, um, well, one way or another, the um, uh, the, the reviewer, so um, the, the deciding commissioner or the the disciplinary board, anyway, decided that obviously Barnes had it right because in the end he's giving him like was it an eleven week ban, I believe. 
Yeah, it was um, a judge mm-hmm. who said, you know, effectively it comes down to Wayne Barnes' word against yours. Mm. Um, but Wayne Barnes is insistent that the comment was directed at him. Mm. Um, and I've seen seen comments from other people where apparently Wayne Barnes has said he was sure the comments earlier in the match were directed at him, but he, you know, he wasn't one hundred percent sure, so he didn't do anything about it. But right. he warned him. But this one, he was convinced that it was yeah. directed at him. Well, well, as as somebody said on, like another New Zealander said on Twitter to me, you can take the boy out of New Zealand, um, but when it comes to Wayne Barnes, you can't take New Zealand out of the boy. With uh, <laughs> with with Dylan Hartley referring back um, to a couple of World Cups ago, but um, yeah, I, I I saw a tweet somewhere saying that this is now Dylan Hartley would have spent twenty seven weeks of the last um, five years of his rugby career banned. Um, so, you know, he's, he's been done for gouging, biting, um, and is it spitting even? I think he's been in there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a huge list. And actually what I understand is the, the judge said was, um, it actually could have only have been six weeks. Um, and I think that's the sanction is, is the guideline is for six weeks for, for, for something like this, but because of his list, that's why he's got such a big ban, um, because of his history. Um, of all the things he's been involved with. So, you know, that's why it's so long, 11 weeks. But either way, whether it's 6 or 11, um, yeah, there's no point in him getting on the plane to come out. No. So he's got all his gear. His bags would have just about been packed given Jeez. that they had a dinner the night of that game <laughs> and then, you know, on the plane the next morning. <laughs> so uh, I wonder if he'll get to keep his gear, whether he's got to hand it back. But, uh, <laughs> look, I, he, he is a bit of a grub. Yeah. And I know there were lots of comments when he was selected with people saying discipline won't be good if he's in the side. Yeah. I'm gutted. I mean, he was our clear hate figure, you know, as far as, you know, from, from a media perspective, it was going to be easy. Um, you know, he was, he was going to provide hours and hours of, of footage and rambling, no doubt. So and now <laughs> well, we've the got other to find thing someone is else. That, yeah, Rory Best from Ireland comes in as his replacement. Yeah. So they'll, they'll probably find him a blazer and everything to get on the plane yesterday mm. but I think he poses more of a problem for the Wallabies than Hartley did mm. but the reason they're, they're talking about that he didn't get selected was apparently uh, two years ago at the end of a Six Nations match uh, he punched Warren Gatlin. Oh really? Yeah that's that's the story so uh, everyone's saying you know it's a bit like it's almost the Dean's Quade Cooper stuff you know will bygones be bygones but um yeah, he, pun- he punched him at the official function after a match. <laughs> I'd never heard that. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, it was in all the stories today. All oh, right, fantastic. Okay. Um, so, wow, there's plenty going on there. Uh, okay, so Dylan Hartley, he's not going to be on the trip, but um, then just getting back to the uh, itinerary then. So they play the Barbarians and Honkers uh, this weekend. I saw some of the Barbarians match actually. They were playing the Poms uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, I think it was in Twickenham. It looked like a balmy day there. Um, I didn't see the end of the match, but it, the barbars weren't up to much chop. Did you see that one? I saw bits and pieces. I kept flicking yeah. over to it and thinking, well, you know, this isn't much of a game. No. The barbarians aren't making much of a go of this. No, no. Well, if that's what they've got to put up, I think they're going to be. Um, I think they're going to be mincemeat against the against the lions in in a, in a, in a tune up. But we'll see what happens. Maybe they're maybe they're saving themselves. I mean, they've got a few decent names in there. I think. Um, Harry Nordicky was there, um, and, and a few others. So anyway, hopefully they can put up a bit of a fight. But they've got the Barbarians on Saturday, and then they're straight on, and because they're playing the Force on Wednesday, and then the Reds that Saturday, aren't they? 
Yeah, so within the next, what have we got, 11 days, yeah. we'll see two games on Australian soil and one in Hong Kong. Jeez, that's some decent miles, though, in a week, eh? In a couple of games as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No wonder they've got such a big squad. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then it means stuff for us as well. So uh, Monday week, the Wallabies going to camp, right? June the 3rd. That's it. So st- basically the weekend after, or the end of the weekend after the Reds play the Lions... And I think the Tars play the Force, don't they? That weekend. Uh, well, anyway, the Tars yeah. and Brumbies and all the other Australian teams have got games that weekend. Yeah. And then yes, the twenty-five go into camp Monday week. Okay. Um, and I guess the other news then around that, and it's then I think June the eleventh, which is the Sunday after the uh, the combined country match, uh, is when we get the the next six to join the squad. And there's lots of discussion going on there, obviously, but I think the news is that um, Kirtley Beal is out of rehab and he's playing rugby again, Yet, but it's club, right? Yeah, he's going to play for Randwick in Sydney, which is mm-hmm. his, his old club. So, And the, the, the release from the ARU says that it's been in conjunction with the ARU and Rupert, etc., so clearly they've decided that it's best for him to stay in Sydney at the moment with yeah. his family, and uh, that way he'll be playing club rugby. So if he's going to make that final six, which he's given himself you know, a couple of weeks to do, mm-hmm. then he'll do it from club rugby. Yeah. And then the other guy who everyone's talking about for the six, well, we weren't talking about him until um, Robbie Deans kind of brought him into it, really, is Luke Burgess, who... Everyone, the story, there was a story out there saying he was probably going to play for combined country to get him a bit of a run against the Lions as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a show. But uh, he's not named there, so that's he's going to be playing for Sydney Uni, I, I believe. Well, you'd, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But yeah. he played in the semi-final of the um, French Top Fourteen last weekend uh-huh. and got six minutes off the bench. <laughs> uh, the week the week before that, I believe he had fourteen minutes. Yeah. So he's not been playing a lot of rugby. He's been sitting on the pine, and he's going to come back here, and unless they now make a late inclusion to put him into that country squad, he's going to play for Sydney Uni, um, maybe come off the bench there, given that he's only going to be playing for a couple of weeks before he's considered for the Lions. So there's two guys who, you know, there's lots of speculation will be in that final six who aren't going to have played any super rugby for, well, a long time. No. I mean, even before Beale had that one you know, cameo in the second half, he'd been off for six weeks or something. Yeah. And Burgess, Burgess hasn't played a lot um, for Toulouse all year. Jeez. So, well, anyway, it's interesting times. I and mean, we'll come on to, we'll talk about how the Brumbies played against the Blues in a little while. But, um, you know, especially with Nick White out there in such good form, you've got to think if there was anybody kind of who must have felt a bit ripped off there. And he's gone out and put in another fantastic performance um, on the weekend against the Blues. But, um, you know, he's really laying his marker down. So, yeah, if Burgess was to walk in with you know, maybe well, you... only having just played a little bit of rugby for Sydney Uni, you'd, you'd, you could imagine him feeling a bit aggrieved. Yeah, well, if you go back to Thursday night, Robbie Deans was on Rugby HQ or Rugby Club, whatever it's called, yeah. and said, look, I'm going to look at those two guys, Phipps and White, um, but if they don't come up, well, then, you know, we probably have to go with what we know. And I think Cave said to him, and what you know is Burgess. And he said, yeah, I know what he can do. Yeah. So I think he's got in his mind. 
that unless somebody is a standout, um, he's going to just settle back to someone who's played a number of tests. You know, but I, I wrote an article today talking about the Lions and it just happened to touch on the halves. And, and as I, my view is, it's a disgrace and a kick in the teeth for Nick White, yeah. if that's what happens. For a guy to just be parachuted back in, and Robbie Dean said, the moment he sets foot on Australian soil, he's got a contract to play for an Australian team next year. He's eligible. Mm. So, I mean, we had the George Smith thing where they made some exceptions, but he, he'd been here all year and was going to be here all super season. Mm-hmm. This is nothing like that. Mm. This is just making a farce of it. And, yeah, from Nick White's point of view, and, and less so Nick Phipps, you know, what do you got to be thinking? Yeah. Well, what have I got to do? Well, especially when you put those efforts in and, and you, know, you know, play some great rugby. Um, and I think also Nick White's got a whole bunch of skills that, well, you know, definitely Luke Burgess doesn't bring. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be a tough one. Having said that, you know, I don't know, test experience is something is, is always nice to have. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it's pretty clear what, what, Dean, what Robbie would like. Um, and if Burgess is not injured and seems vaguely fit enough, I'm pretty sure we can guess where he's going to go with that one. Yeah, yeah. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually goes into camp with the 25 because, as I said last week, it's very hard to practice attack and defence when you don't have a halfback on the opposition mm. because effectively they run you know, all of the attack that you're trying to defend against. So if he's not playing super rugby, which he won't be, because there's no contract room left of the Rebels uh, to bring him in unless somebody's out for the season. Well, he's either going to train with Sydney Uni or he might as well go and train with the Wallabies in camp and provide them that extra, yeah. that extra guy. Yeah, it would, so, make sen- it would make sense from that perspective. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, well, so we were talking about uh, Kirtley Bill, but a man who has um, kind of stepped into his boots uh, pretty well um, is our next guest. So uh, let's get him on now. So joining me here, I've got, we're just talking about Kirtley Beale and um, someone filling his shoes pretty adequately at the moment, uh, Jason Woodward. G'day mate, how are you? Good thanks, how are you? Yeah, you know, good to have you on. Um, mate, you're having a bit of a purple patch at the moment, there's a bit of a, a, a blinder on the weekend, how, how did it feel to you guys break the duck against the Tars? Yeah, mate, it was um, it was a really good feeling. Um, you know, especially to beat those boys who've um, you know, got a team packed full of uh, wallabies and you know, a few um, really handy players. So, you know, to sort of um, knock them over um, at home in front of such an awesome crowd, it was just you know, it was sort of one of those um, games you'll never forget, really. Yeah, it was a beauty. Just staying on that for a second, um, it seemed to me in the first half that you know. Uh, they kind of they did all right, and they were, they were making a few yards. But in the second half, you guys really managed to kind of to shut them down. Was there anything that you guys in the sheds said in the sheds at halftime? Did you did you change anything, or was it just sticking to a plan? Um, yeah, it wasn't so much changing things. It was more sort of sticking to our game, and I think that was probably one of the um, performances um, throughout the year that we could be really proud of. We put um, we put eighty minutes on the paddock. Um, it's probably something that we haven't haven't done enough of this season. So, um, yeah, you know, just to sort of um, uh, put that performance together and really stick to our game plan was key. I think um, probably another thing that sort of stuck out for us was um, our defence on the weekend. It's probably the best it's ever been. So, um, yeah, you know, just sticking to those two things, um, 
uh, yeah, you know, that, that probably made the big difference. Okay. And, and what was it, you know, what was the, the simple thought behind the game plan that you, what did you guys see in the TARS that you thought, right, if we can, if we do this, we reckon we've got them nailed. What, what were the simple things you guys look, look to go and do against them? Um, it was sort of just, um, territory was mainly the big thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of teams that have, um, you know, sort of kicked and kicked well against them, and, you know, found space um, in behind their line uh, while kicking the ball. Um, you know, they've, they've sort of um, been the teams that have looked to beat them or have beaten them. So um, that was definitely a, a key focus for us was, um, you know, really turning them around and keeping them in their half. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the other thing was just um, keeping hold of the ball, um, just holding, you know, keeping um, position up and, um, you know, in, in territory. So... Um, I think you know we sort of nailed those thing, two things on the weekend, and um, yeah, you know that sort of led to the victory, I suppose. Okay, cool. Now, look, I, I think most people would know, and if they didn't, they might have spotted it in, in your accent on the call. But um, you, you weren't exactly born around Melbourne, were you? No, no, I was um, a little bit further further away. Um, I was born in uh, Wellington, New Zealand. Okay. Um, so yeah, sort of spent my whole life playing rugby. Um, back home and yes um sort of my second time away from home uh, you could say i spent a bit of time playing in england um at a university over there called um Hartbury. so uh-huh. yeah you know yeah and um so mate you know and i understand that you played so talk us through that so where did you play you know before you went to england and then what did you when did you play after yeah so i was playing um after i left school i was playing for a club and um Wellington, Wellington called Upper Hut. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, sort of a few big names out of there: Corey Jane and um, LB Matheson, yeah. um, Tim Fairbrother, all from that club. So it's pretty, pretty good, well-known club. Um, I went to England on a um, university scholarship after that, and uh, played a bit of rugby over there. So um, I was playing in in Gloucester, which was which was an awesome experience, but um, it was sort of something that didn't really uh, fit fit at the time and. I decided to come back to New Zealand to try out for the New Zealand Twenties, which um, fortunately I made. Um, yeah, so um, started playing for Upper Hutt again, and um, yeah, uh, got to travel to Argentina with the New Zealand Twenties, and um, on the back of that, I made the Wellington Lions. I spent two years playing in the ITM Cup, and um, we were fortunate enough to get a call from Damien Hill one day, and uh, the opportunity to come to move to Melbourne to play for the Rebels. So yeah, it's. Um, been a bit of a roller coaster ride, but it's you know something I'm really enjoying. Yeah, because I can't imagine that it's the every young New Zealander's dream to come and play Aussie rugby. <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> wasn't something I thought about when I was growing up. You know, it was always um, yeah. about the black jersey. Um, you know, that's obviously um, still a dream um, mm-hmm. to be an All Black. But um, you know, one of those things um, that happens, I guess. Um, I you know I never got the opportunity to um, play back home and. Uh, for a Super Rugby side, and I had the opportunity here. So, um, yeah, you know, you sort of got to, um, you know, go with the go with the flow. And yeah, I've found myself in Melbourne, which um, I'm, me and my wife have been absolutely loving. Okay, fantastic. And you mentioned a couple of names there of guys who played for the up, um, for Upper Hutt, like Albie Matthews and Tim Fairbrother. Some guys who've done a bit of travel. Did that have any impact on you as far as having seen guys who'd, who'd moved? Um, yeah, I guess you know. Um, Having those guys around the club, um, you know, being able to sort of, um, you know, be taught a bit by uh, guys like Corey Jane as well, you know, it um, definitely opens up your eyes to all the, the possibilities and, um, 
you know the opportunities that present themselves um, playing playing rugby. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know it's um it's good to sort of talk to those guys and see um you know, see where their their careers have taken them to and um yeah you know it's just it's it's just one of those things um it's been it's been a really good experience playing at that club and you know playing with some quality rugby players and um yeah I've sort of been learning from the best which is really fortunate. Mm-hmm. And so, Jason, you're playing fullback at the moment for the Rebels, but you've played fly half and wing as well. Yeah, um, I for the past couple of years I've um, sort of just been uh, in the back three, playing fullback and wing. But um, I grew up playing most of my rugby, probably towards about 16, playing at uh, in the 10 jersey. Okay. And so, where do you go from here? I mean, is it, is it something you would consider trying to qualify to play uh, for the Wallabies? Yeah, um, I've I've been asked that question a number of times, and it's sort of um, always been the same answer. I, I guess I haven't um, really sat down and had a good think about it. Um, of you know, I'm in my first year of Super Rugby, and that was my my goal this year was to um, be playing Super Rugby. And um, yeah, I, I guess I could say I'm taking it one step at a time. I've um, you know got next year, uh, the rest of the season to to think about, and next year as well. Um, you know, I've, um, signed for two years with the Rebels, and um, at the moment, that's what's on my plate, so that's what I'm focusing on. Um, yeah, when when I get to get to that hurdle, I'll, I'll jump at the end. But um, yeah, you know, as um, opportunities come up like they have um, for me to come to Melbourne, you know, I'll, I'll take my opportunities when they present themselves. And mate, what what about the difference between the the attitude to rugby in New Zealand and that you found in Australia? Um, I guess. Um, Probably coming to Melbourne has uh, opened my opened my eyes to a whole other world. Um, you know, New, New Zealand rugby is the bill and end all, and um, you come to a place like Melbourne, and uh, it's probably the the third third or fourth sport on the agenda. You know, it's such a big AFL town. Um, you know, and then there's a couple of football teams and a rugby league team, and you know, then there's um, then there's us. So, you know, the the attitude in the in the camp is definitely um, very similar to um, you know back home, but I guess the city probably sees us in a different light. Um, yeah, but you know, it's something that um, you know, on the flip side, it's quite good as well. You can sort of walk down the street and um, you go to a restaurant, and you know, no one sort of knows who you are, and then um, get to the game on a Friday night, and you've got fifteen thousand people screaming and yelling for you. So it's, it's you know, it's a beautiful thing. And anyway, just back on the Rebels quickly on the Rebels' performance. I mean, it's really it's it's only eight weeks ago that I think you played your first game against the Sharks, didn't you? In that that drubbing over in South Africa. Yeah, it's, um, it was a pretty big wake-up call to Super Rugby. Um, yep. As far as debut, uh, it was probably um, one to forget uh, after the scoreline. But yeah, no, um, I think we've definitely, um, you know, found some form lately and turned our season around. A lot of the a lot of the games that we've been playing lately have been close losses. So, you know, to have the past two weeks turn out the way they have has been awesome. Um, the guys have been re- working really hard. Um, you know, and the coaching staff as well. So. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously something we've been working towards. So to achieve, um, you know, a couple of wins back to back has been, you know, brilliant. And if we, if we, I know I saw Damien Hill had tweeted on um, the other night after the game saying you had a ninety-five percent tackle completion rate, which is fantastic, particularly when you consider back to what was happening in that Sharks game. So John Muggleton has he been working, you know, mainly on your individual defence and your attitude, or is it something? There've been some changes in the system, or is it just attitude? You think over the last couple of months in that area? Yeah, um, John, uh, he's been working pretty tirelessly. Uh, that guy, I feel a bit sorry for him. He's um, had a lot on his plate with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, as you said, the um, 
the tackle completion rate on the weekend was, you know, outstanding. We had um, both Scott Fugistor and Jed Robinson tackling, um, you know, make, making, you know, sort of over 20, 25 tackles in the game, which is, you know, pretty pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it hasn't really been such a, uh, you know, it's the same systems we've had in place. It's, um, I guess you could say, yeah, it is more of an attitude thing, just, um, you know, guys getting just as excited to defend as, um, you know, we do get on attack. So, um, yeah, and, you know, and then obviously with the one-on-one defence, um, Mago's been, you know, really helpful, uh, not only to me, but to, um, you know, the team. He's, um, you know, definitely someone, uh, you know, to learn from and pick his brains about. Um, he's had a lot of experience, um, especially, you know, with his league background as well. So, um, yeah, he's, he's he's a great coach and, um, you know, his individual technique on the tackling is um you know something I'm gonna um really hammer down over the next um you know couple of years while I've got the opportunity to learn off him. Yeah. But mate, it, it, you know, from pe- on the people on the outside you can't help but notice you know the last couple of weeks, some great results and you know, with without any of the big megastars there. You know, because I guess in the Rebels' history, you know, it's a young, young kind of team, young club. But you know, there's been plenty going on. Whether it was Cipriani the last couple of years, and the stuff going on with Kurtley recently, when that kind of goes away, you know, obviously um, with some of those names and things associated, does that help the rest of the team just focus? Because we've all, we've been looking at the Rebels over the years, thinking, wow, one minute they put in a fantastic effort, next minute it all goes to crap. But it looks like things are kind of Kind of pulling together and some really gutsy efforts. Does it help it when things simplify down a bit? Um, yeah, I guess you could say our consistency hasn't been um, too great this year. Um, you know, and having having those big names in the team, guys like um, you know O'Connor and Beal and um, um, Cooper Vuna, you know, yeah. uh, they do bring a lot to the team and they are great to learn off. Um, you know, when when you don't have them when they're you know sort of out injured or um, you know, and in Kirtley's case, not with the team. It's um, you know, it, it's down to the guys that um, you know, are, are fit and available. And um, yeah, you know, we've we've been plugging away um, the past couple of weeks and just really getting everything um, nailed down and you know, sort of really looking for a bit of um, perfection. So you know, the the guys that we have had available have um, obviously delivered the past two weeks. And um, yeah, you know, you could say we've been really focused lately. And um, you know, we are, but on the flip side, we are looking forward to getting those guys back. They do add a lot to, a lot to the team and a lot to the, um, you know, our strike power. So, sure. yeah, it's a, it's a bit of give and take. Okay. And then the other bit is um, obviously with Higgins um, being being running, running at captain for a while. I know Gareth Delve has been a big influence in the club and a fantastic guy yeah. to, to to have around. But with kind of Higgins starting to step up there as as captain. How's that kind of played out? Because my understanding, Higgins was always a bit of an enigmatic character around teams. Is he kind of, what's it like with him being as a captain? Is he very talkative or, or is he quiet? What's he like? Um, yeah, oh, Higgins is an awesome guy. He's um, someone I've, I've uh, really got on well with since I've been at the club. He, um, you know, as a captain, I, I guess um, the the first thing you, you sort of notice about him, he, he definitely leads from the front. Um, mm. You know his his actions speak sort of louder than you know just a bunch you know just words basically. Um, yeah, he, he you know he he does you know bring the guys in and um, you know speak to us and you know that kind of thing. But um, probably the big thing for me, um, you know, in getting to play with him, um, 
it's just how he leads from the front and he's always, you know, um, really positive and energetic and, um, yeah, just, just you know, so, like he's always positive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's been um, playing awesome lately and, yeah, um, you know, whether that's because of the captaincy or not, you know, um, whatever it is, I hope he, you know, continues to play the way he is because he's been brilliant, um, not only to play with, but I guess to watch as well. So. Yeah, and he's working that captain's moustache, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one final one from me, Jason. In the research, looking at you know your history, one of the things that was interesting was you're studying to become a helicopter pilot. Yeah, um, I basically I was when I was in England, I was uh, studying to um, uh, sports coaching and conditioning, and um, when I came back to New Zealand. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess you could say I almost worked out one day and just thought I really don't want to work in the gym for my whole life. Um, <laughs> and I've always sort of had in the back of my mind, I, you know, I always thought being a pilot would be really cool, um, really cool job. And yeah, I just one day I jumped on the internet and found a, one of the local flight schools back home and gave someone a call. And yeah, a couple of days later, I, I walked in the door with a massive student loan to mum and dad's surprise. So I don't know if they were too happy about that or not, but um <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing a diploma in aviation for the past two years, um, specialising in helicopters. So I've um, done about 50 hours flying time now, um, probably about 10 hours solo. And um, yeah, I'm sort of uh, right on the verge of setting my licence after the rugby season. I'm going to go set my private pilot's licence and then um, I'll have a, um, another few hours to go before I get my commercials. And then, um, yeah, hopefully... Um, Further down the track, I'll look at um, getting into search and rescue, which is um, yeah, sort of one of my one of my dream jobs, really. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, you know sort of not your everyday course um, you find people on, but it's um, it's something I really enjoy and something I'm really passionate about. Awesome. Where, where are you doing? The, are you doing the study? Are you doing it in uh, Australia or, New, or out of New Zealand? I'm doing my course through the Nelson and Melbourne Institute of Technology mm-hmm. um, back in New Zealand. Um, but for my flying hours, um, I was doing my flying through a company called Halipro back in New Zealand. But um, since I've been to been living in Melbourne, I've um, been flying with the professional helicopter service down in Moorabbin Airport. So I've had an awesome opportunity to have a really good look around the city from maybe a view that uh, not a lot of people get to experience. Um, oh yeah, you know, get to get to do a bit of flying down the coast and really have a good look around. So yeah, in that aspect, it's um, it's been awesome. Right. And have you taken any of your teammates up with you yet? Uh, no, not yet. They, um, I, wait, I have to wait until I get my licence before I can take a few of the boys out. There's a few of them uh, really keen to come out, so I'm sure once I get my licence, a few of them will be uh, jumping in the seat to get a lift. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, look, um, who, have you got, who have you guys got next? The Reds. The Reds. Uh, we're away in, in Brisbane. Yeah, we've got the Reds. Oh, They'll be easy to knock off, won't they? <laughs> yeah, no, they're um they're a quality team, you know. It's um it's going to be another tough week for us, but um yeah, you know we've we've managed to knock over the Waratahs and the Shark. Uh, sorry, in the um Stormers the past two weeks, so yeah. we're looking forward to this. We're taking this challenge um you know really seriously, and um you know I, I know from training today the boys are all amped up to get out there and and play. So yeah, as I said, we're looking forward to it. Well, Scott won't, won't like me saying this, but yeah, I mean. It, Actually, putting Reds aside, it's just great to see you guys, um, you know, really uh, stepping up and really putting in some gritty performances. I mean, the Force have been doing that as well, and it's just such a, a great thing for Aussie rugby, you know, that it's not just dominated by a couple of teams, but um, that, you know, all the teams are really putting in some, some great slogs, so it's great to see. 
Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, as I said, we've we've really been working hard lately, so to get a couple wins, um, you know, and especially to uh, knock over the Waratahs, so I'm sure a few of the boys in our team um, took that game, you know, really personal and really to heart. It was it was great, and um, this is you know this is just another another game for us that um, I'm sure the boys are all all stepping up for. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be tough, and you know, there's obviously a few um, a few uh, idols of mine playing um, for that team. Um, so it's going to be great to play against them and um, really test myself again. Excellent, mate. All right, well, look, thanks for the time tonight. Um, great to talk to you, and um, go well on the weekend. Yeah, awesome. Thanks a lot for that, mate. No Good worries. luck, Jason. Cheers, we'll see guys. you up here on the weekend. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See, see you, you there. Good one. Okay. What, what, what a lovely guy. Yeah. And I, I really like the story of he's got something outside of rugby. He's got a plan. He's working on something that's a passion of his mm. rather than just being a rugby player. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's I mean, great. And it sounds like he's married as well. I mean, he's got a lot going on, hasn't he? He's not just uh, playing FIFA yeah. <laughs> on, on Xbox. <laughs> that's um, right. Yeah. He certainly sounds like he's got his head screwed on, doesn't he? Yeah, no, for sure. No, I, And I like that quote. Um, woke up one morning, realised I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in the gym. <laughs> Um, that was an excellent one. All right, so um, good talking to him. Look, let's then take our um, step back, shall we, and have a talk um, about the weekend. Uh, let me just get up here. We were, yeah. So I had an absolute shocker of a tipping round this weekend. It it, it blew my tipping apart. Are you even, are you still on the tipping? Are you are you focusing on the a fantasy these days? No, I well, I only did fantasy for about three weeks. It was too hard. <laughs> so I haven't looked, actually. I don't know how my team's going. I haven't made any changes since the round three. So. Sometimes long bets can play off, mate. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't do tipping, but I, I think I probably uh, I would have done pretty poorly in the tipping this week. Oh, oh, oh yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the Chiefs started out by giving me a kick in the nuts, um, beating the Crusaders 28-19. Um, yeah, look, I, I would have thought the Crusaders given the momentum they'd built up, would have got over the Chiefs. But, um, you know, they just slipped back a little bit and then the Chiefs, you know, they were pretty solid. They're sort of starting to find some form again. Yeah. Well, in a way, it was, I didn't think that was too bad a thing for us because if if the Chiefs are the shoe-ins um, kind of like at the top of the table, which I think they are, um, and the Crusaders fall back a bit, that might give some of our chances a hope. But anyway, uh, some of our teams a hope. But um, yeah, anyway, so the Chiefs had that Friday afternoon game and they won 28-19. And then as we were just talking about with Jason, um, the Rebels got up over the Waratahs, 24-22, uh, d- down in Melbourne. I thought it was a funny old game, this one. Uh, in the first half, I thought the Tars looked like you know they were putting on some of the performance like they had in the last few weeks. And in the second game, they just walked, they just ran to the same brick wall for forty minutes. It was quite amazing and didn't even think about changing. Uh, how did you see this game? Yeah, look, I think it was for more than forty minutes. Um, mm. I thought they started pretty well, the Waratahs, but mm. as you say, they were very predictable. Mm. And you know that there was no plan B. Mm. And I know Checker has said that, you know, we've got to get the basics right and we're not going to have a kicking game or we're not going to have this sort of game. We're just going to do our thing really, really well. And once we've got that worked out, we might add some things to it. Well, mm. it looked like a team that didn't have anything to add, didn't it? Mm. Um, a lot more kicking in the game from the Tars. Mm. 
um, which I thought played into the Rebels' hands. And it's strange that they went away from the keep ball in hand at all times. And the only real change there was Beric Barnes was in the team and he did kick a lot. Um, not as much as he used to kick, but... Although I thought, I thought that didn't work so badly because he was obviously on for the first half, pretty much. And, I mean, I actually thought, and it was, you know, seeing the Tars kick at all this season was quite a shock because they just hadn't been doing it. Um, I didn't think it was, disaster, it was a disaster when they did it. And they kind of, they won a few of the, the, the kicking duels there, which in the past they never did. But the thing that hit me in the second half, and that was obviously when Barnes went off. So some of the options, obviously, some of the kicking options seemed to disappear. But um, they just played like a, a two-out, you know, wide from the ruck forward pod. Um, which, and a lot of people, t- I mean, yes, the Rebels' defence was fantastic, but also, you know, they just out-muscled the Tars at the breakdown. And you and I have been talking about this for weeks. When is a team going to figure that out and figure out that slow ball for the Tars is a disaster? And that's exactly what the Rebels did. I mean, Higgers just acted as a wrecking ball and that just killed all the Tars' momentum dead, didn't it? Yeah, and, it, and it's been so obvious. And as you say, we've been wondering why it didn't happen, but... But that was the problem with the Waratahs. They didn't have plan B to get out of that. Mm. I mean, they'd been cruising along. Certainly, I didn't think the kicking was terrible. Mm. But it was just a surprise to me to see the kicking come back in, Mm. you know, to to change so radically from what they've been doing, which has been working well for them. I don't know why you would have gone away from it. But it was interesting, Dave Dennis's comments straight after the match, talking about, you know, the attitude wasn't right and they weren't up for the match. Right. And, you know, there were people during the week talking about, you know, they've had a number of, they've had about five weeks in a row where they've been good. Is it time for them to have a drop-off? And Checker obviously um, was pretty adamant that, you know, if you're going to win, you can't have those drop-offs. And they've put themselves in a bit of a perilous situation as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm not sure many people expected them to even get within a sniff, but um, they may well have, you know, kind of throw the, thrown those chances away um, with it. Um, so, but, you know, that's from the Waratahs' perspective. From the Rebels' perspective, um, you know, a couple of guys had blinders. Um, I thought, you know, Jason Woodward, who we just talked to, um, had a, had a, had a perler, didn't he? Not just, not just in kicking. So, you know, he, he slotted plenty of goals, but he showed quite a bit around the park, uh, this week as well, I thought. He did. I thought he played really well. Mm. And, and he's actually been playing well the last few weeks. Yeah. But no doubt about it, Scott Higginbotham was just immense for the Rebels. Mm. Um, you know, we say the same thing every week, that he's grown and grown. But, you know, what a great time when you're in a, a neck-and-neck struggle for one of those back row spots in the Wallabies. He's just run into a rich reign of form, hasn't he? No, he has indeed. Well, I, I think he's definitely going to be giving uh, Robbie a bit of a headache, knowing that, um, you know, with who the, pe- the people are that Robbie would normally favour, favor, um, namely Palu at eight, you've, it's, it's kind of hard to ignore um, Higgers, isn't it? Oh, he'll ignore Higgers for eight. Mm. No doubt about that. Palu mm. will be eight mm. for the Wallabies, I'm mm. sure. But, yeah. I mean, and the other thing that I don't want to um, take away from the Rebels' performance, because I thought it was really good, the Waratahs' scrum, you know, was dominant, and they weren't able to turn that dominance into yes. a dominant position. Yep. But what concerned me with the Waratahs' performance and a number of the other Australian teams um, over the last few weeks was that the Wallaby forwards running around in the Waratahs, Tamani, Kepu, um, Palu in particular, they were pretty ordinary. Mm. There was nothing there that you'd look at and say, well, they're, they're in form. 
at the moment. Mm. I mean, they didn't play terribly, but, you know, they're, they're wallaby forwards. They've been selected in our top 25, and I just looked at it and thought, it's all a bit pedestrian. Well, I mean, as somebody said, I think one of the commenters on the blog said today, you know, um, only five of the uh, top 25 wallabies were selected in our team of the week. Is that um, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a worry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, you, you named some guys there. I mean, especially Tamani. I think, you know, in your series when you're looking at the locks and you talk about the pivotal role Tamani's going to play most likely in Dean's game plan. And the guy is just, he, he, you know, as someone commented, I can't remember, he still hasn't realised that he's, he's a big man um, because he's just, he, in his, his ball carrying, which is why he gets selected because he's not a jumper um, or much else. And he doesn't seem to have a, a huge effect on rucks when he hits them. He, he makes very little, um, very, very few yards in tight. So... And he, and, he and he continues to do that. I, I just, therefore, the logic kind of goes out the window for me. I don't understand it. Well, nor do I. And you're, you're right. All the things that he will be picked for, mm. and look, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be a starting lock, um, you know, for the ball carry. They use the five-man lineups. They put him in midfield and say, there you go, run the ball up and get us over the game line. Mm. Well, you look at him doing that in super rugby, and they handle him easily. Yep. And he runs high, and if you run high against the Northern Hemisphere team, that you know they will put in place that Irish choke tackle. Yeah. And you're right about the rucks. He, he hits a ruck every now and then and does some damage, but most of the time he's really inaccurate. Mm. He arrives and sort of flops on top of it. Mm. Um, so I think he's his form's a major concern. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I thought Dave Dennis and Michael Hooper were all right. Mm -hmm. Again, without without being outstanding. Um, Kepu was ordinary. Ben Robinson was good. He he looked to be in good form. I, he, I thought he absolutely dished Laurie Weeks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and then got penalised for it a couple of times. I mean, if you, you know, you want an example of why Australians teams don't see any point being dominant in the scrum. Um, was it was was the ref Angus Gardner? I got I can't remember if it that. I probably shouldn't throw names out there if I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, it was an interesting game, but I thought that that was a big problem when, you know, one pack is clearly dominant over another, and yet they're getting absolutely nothing out of it. And in fact, if anything, they got penalised a couple of times um, for absolutely demolishing the other front row. Yeah, and so Robinson got was getting penalised for driving in mm. and up. The reason that he was driving in was because he had nothing to drive against. Yeah. You know, Weeks was just sort of crumbling upwards. Mm. And then you're pushing. You've got your head down. You're pushing like crazy. And, you know, the guy's folding in like that or folding up, sorry, not in. You're naturally going to go up. Yeah. You know, if, if Weeks stays down in a good low position, then Robinson's got something to drive against and his side of the scrum will go backwards. So, to me, that's Weeks bailing out. Mm. And the penalty should have gone the other way. Yeah. And, but, and, and, there, and there's some, you know, from those sort of set pieces and they were pretty critical. But anyway, they, they got away with it. Um, Okay, so look, a, a good a good win for the Rebels there, though. Yeah. Um, and and Garrett, Garrett Williamson, we'll uh, we have to blame for that, not, ah, not Angus Gardner. Sorry, Angus. My, yeah, we apologise. <laughs> uh, take take that back. Garrett Williamson, you got to learn about scrums. Yes, but anyway, um, so there we go. So knots for the Rebels. Unfortunately, it probably puts um, another Australian team uh, further away from getting a sniff of the finals. Um, and then on Saturday, uh, the afternoon game was the Blues versus the Brumbies. Now, 
who would have thought watching an Australian team playing wet weather could be so enjoyable? I, I just thought it was a fantastic performance by the Brumbies. I thought, thought it was very good. Yeah. Really good. I, you know, they, what they did was under a huge pressure, terrible conditions, mm. and yet they stepped up. Yeah. You know, they, it, it was, and to a certain extent, you know, if they lose that match, they open the door again for the Reds. So there's a fair bit of pressure on. Um, they got a poor record in New Zealand. Uh, or at, certainly at Eden Park, I believe, um, stepped up really well. Yeah. That first 40 minutes, I thought they controlled the game absolutely magnificently. Mm-hmm. And I know we've seen, you know, I think Laurie Fisher was on Twitter talking about the fact that they executed the game plan they gave them perfectly. Yeah. No, they, they, they really did, didn't they? They, uh, they just, well, they absolutely you know, smashed the breakdown. I thought um, the work that Fardy and also Carter did um, as locks um, w- was excellent. Um, and didn't that, didn't that make a difference? Because they yeah. haven't. I wouldn't say they've been in outstanding form, mm. but they were on Saturday. Yeah, you know they looked really good, and that that just added a whole new dimension to the Brumbies. Yeah, and I, I, I thought Tamua had another good game. Yeah, it's solid as. Mm. I mean, and and in those conditions, you need the ten to control the game. He controlled the game really well. Yeah. He, he did everything you would want your 10 to do in those sorts of conditions. Yeah. And uh, combined well with that, and this is the guy we mentioned, you know, Nick White had, had an absolute stormer, um, you know, there. And, with, and, and I think all, all of their kick, you know, their halves and also Mog had, you know, just did what they needed to do with their kicking games, didn't they? Well, I, I, I don't think you could say there's a single Brumbies player mm. that didn't perform as was required. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a really good solid team effort. Yeah, there were some standouts or some players who played well, but I actually don't know that they were standouts because the whole team lifted. Mm. And that that's a really good sign. Um, it gives you an indication that the Brumbies are probably back on track to be a serious threat for the competition. Yeah, maybe they just needed that uh, bit of a, a low point to kind of redefine and refine some of the energy. Um, but... Uh, it, they've been a funny team like that, though. You know, where they've been best is, is games like this, um, where they could grind it out. Um, I think where we've probably felt that they've missed a bit is when, I don't know, they've needed to find a bit more attacking flair and haven't been able to, you know, because outside of Mog, we couldn't see a lot. I thought Leila Fano had a better game from that perspective, though. He looked quite threatening at 12, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, as I said, I, they were all solid. Mm. Um, and, yeah, they, and the decision-making was really good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they looked like a very experienced team making the decisions under pressure in those dreadful conditions. Mm. So there was no panic. There was no, you know, trying to blast their way out. They just went about their work, did it really well. Yeah. So I was very impressed with them. Okay. So that was the Brumbies. So hopefully back on track there. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a very good win away against a decent Blues team in horrific conditions, and they just looked like they were at home. Uh, okay, so that was them. Then in the evening we had the Force taking on the Highlanders. Now, I thought right down to like the last minute, it looked like the force had managed to earn themselves a force again, but it wasn't to be. It was the Highlanders who have taken their mantle this year um, who managed to lose that one. Uh, 1918, it was pretty high drama towards the end, wasn't it? It was. I'm just trying to remember what the guy's name, the Highlander who gave that penalty away. Oh, it, was the, it was the winger, winger, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, it was the, looking... he tackled the guy in the air, didn't he? It was just it was like the dumbest tackle. Namani. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you just looked at it, and his teammates and like Brad Thorne in his after match interview just said, you know, 
And he didn't name him, but he mm. just said, well, what do you expect? Give away penalties like that, yeah. you're going to lose games. Yep. But yeah, I thought, I thought at that stage, oh no, they've, they've lost it again. Mm. And then he just had a brain fade, that fella. So, oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah they, they fought hard, the force. that they, they don't have the impact players that the other teams have. You know, Foley and his other coaches, they are getting something out of that team. They are showing a hell of a lot more character than they have in the last few years without a lot of great players, as I said. Um, I don't know. Something, something's happening at the force. Will they be able to get enough good players? Well, they've signed some decent guys for next year. Mm. Um, but they're, they're a very workmanlike team, and good on them. It was good to see that they finally got up in a class one. Yeah, no, that was very good to see. But I, I must admit, I'm, even I am starting to feel a bit sorry for the Highlanders. Um, <laughs> they, they just can't. I mean, have they got one? No, got, no, no, no yeah. sorryness. No, they've got like one win this year. Is that right? Yeah, they beat the Sharks oh, God. at home. Yeah. I, no, I checked out that quote. Jamie Joseph, their coach, was the one last year who said that playing against the Australian teams was like playing against schoolboys. So yeah. <laughs> let's not feel sorry for them. Okay. No, all right, you've convinced me. It didn't, wasn't hard. Okay. But, you know, you're right. It, it is good to see the force. And like you say, it was, it, it's interesting, you know, you, you hear – I didn't want to put too many words into his mouth there with Jason, but, you know, with these teams that have, um, you know, a sprinkling of a few – well, the force haven't, um, but with the Rebels, for example, that have got some of these X-Factor players – it's interesting to kind of hear about, you know, if you take those players away, you know, then the rest of the team realise there's no one else to do it for them um, and maybe kind of just knuckle down and get it done. You know, maybe, you know, that's what the force, you know, that's kind of bringing them together. It definitely seems to be something to do with the Rebels um, that, you know, they, they just focus and realise they've got to work as a unit. Yeah, and the other thing that's, that I was thinking about today is that Michael Foley, who had such a terrible year with the Tars last year, mm. clearly... Things weren't clicking. But, you know, he's gone over to the force and he's taken a team that, you know, are nowhere near the quality of the Waratahs and he's actually making them deliver. And I was thinking the same thing about Damien Hill. And it was only about five weeks ago that the Rebels advertised for the coaching position mm. and, you know, he had to reapply. And I think we said on the podcast that week, he's no chance. Mm. Well, now it'd have to be a very good chance. There'd have to be a very good coach apply to get it off him, the way he's getting the best out of his players. Mm, well, and, just, and as you say, he's doing it without the stars. I can't help but think that, you know, there's no such thing as coincidences in, these world, in this world. Um, and it's interesting. You see what happens when some of those people go, you know, whether it's the distraction that they bring with them, I don't know. But uh, one way or another, you, you see two great performances that the, the, the Rebels have managed to do there. If they can get a third in a row, good goodness. Um, well, it could also be that, subconsciously the players, the rest of the players are sitting back and saying, yeah. well, Kirtley will do something or Jock will do something or Higgers will do something or yeah. Gareth Delve will do something. You know, and if you know, Delve wasn't there, basically hasn't been there most of the year, can't get back in now, and with the other two, Jock and Beal out, you know, maybe they're now saying, well, okay, we have to do something. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what's making the difference. But it's really good to see that finally, you know, we've got, the lower teams in the Australian Conference stepping up a bit, mm. and you know that hopefully means that the force will avoid the wooden spoon, because mm -hmm. that was basically the the race between who would get the wooden spoon between the Highlanders and the force. Yeah. 
Well, I think so, the Force deserve more than that, that's for sure. Um, okay, Doke, so that's the Force and the Highlanders. Then the Cheetahs took down the Kings um, away in Port Elizabeth, 34-22. I think that might have been about one of my one tips that came through. Um, <laughs> Stormers um, and the Reds. So I haven't actually got through this the, the, the full tape of this match. Um, the first half, there were three points scored in it, I think, full stop. Um, it, it wasn't thrilling to watch. What, what's your summary of it, mate? Mate, uh, very disappointing to stay up and, and see that. Oh, God, you stayed the, up for it as well, did you? Jeez. Yeah, I stayed up. Um, look, I, I thought the Reds, yes, they showed intent, but again, the plan B was to a certain extent lacking. I'm, I must say, I thought Will Genia had another terrible game. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought his decision-making to... I, I, they were obviously playing a game where they were trying to go down the short side as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between a short side and a metre between where you get the ball and the touchline. Yeah. And if you look at the number of times that they tried to play down a, a one-metre channel and as they were either bundled into touch and lost the ball or threw it back inside, I just thought they were, they were poor decisions. Um, some of the slow ball play from the Reds was driving me crazy. I was screaming at the TV. It was awful thinking, stuff, wasn't it? Oh, and look, they were in position, but the, the way they he slowed them down, mm. um, it was like some of the worst play that I've seen the Reds go for a long time. Mm. But the other thing that, and I said this a number of weeks ago, and it was before the Sharks game, and Robbie Deans made a criticism of Quade Cooper last week that he isn't giving the ball off to someone else as a playmaker. And the reality is the Reds don't have a second playmaker. Mm. There's no one to give it to. But what Quade Cooper used to do so well with the Reds, with only one playmaker, was be able to sit back behind the line waiting for the ball while his forwards did the work. And I said it before the Sharks game, and the Reds came out in the first half and the forwards worked around the corner, and Cooper was able to just sit back and see what was going on. Mm. In this game, Cooper is up in the front line. He's getting his hands on the ball so much. He's central to everything they're doing. Mm. And that means he can't be looking up at where the opportunities might come. So he's then trying to create things. Um, so I think the, the red structure is just out of kilter at the moment and has been for a number of weeks. Mm. They show flashes of brilliance, but they are trying so hard. They're forcing everything. Um, and the stats said that. I mean, you know, they made 140 runs to 50 from the Stormers. Um, Is that right? I haven't seen the stats yet. Or, or I did sit down tonight to start reviewing the game, mm. and something else came up, and I stopped. Um, which is... I mean, it really does look like they tried to... They went away from... So in the past, whenever they've taken on the Stormers, they've kind of managed... Well, I'm trying to remember back to the last time, I think last year... You know, um, when they've taken on the Stormers and won, um, they've done it by, you know, you've got to beat them at their own game plan. You know, you, you can't get sucked into trying to run the ball the whole time. You're going to have to try and chew off some territory. And you, you just look at it. It's like, uh, you know, the Stormers had 730 kick metres to 445 for the Reds. Um, like I said, the Reds made 140 runs compared to 55 from the Stormers. Um, but then you see, you know, the Reds, gave away 19 turnovers to nine from the Stormers um, so they could kind of sit back and, and look at it. And then the other bit, which was just a shocker, was that the Reds' line-out continues to have real 
uh, have a real problem. Well, uh, look, it hasn't been that bad this season, but mm. it was terrible in this game. Yeah. And you, you can't give up ball like that. And they made the same mistake that I've been critical of the Tars in the last few weeks. You know, they're, they're just jumping into contest. Mm. And Simmons calling the line out. There are a couple there where he's in the middle of the line out. He calls the ball to himself and just goes straight up. Now, that's fine, you know, if you're getting up fast on the team. But... Um, Ebbetson, not Ebbetson, the... Um, that's a Beth. It's a Beth, that's it. The, mm. you know, the big lock is in front of him. Yeah. So all he's got to do is time his jump. He's got no movement to deal with. He just goes up. Mm. If he doesn't win the ball, which he did a number of times, he's going to put so much pressure on that you can't get good ball. So I don't, I, I don't know what was going on with the Reds. Um, as I say, in their attack, and their defence was fine, in their attack it was either all-out play-touch rugby... And I know Quaid and a few of the boys went and played with the South African kids during the week, and they brought some of those things onto the field, it looked like, mm. or would go to super slow ball. Yeah. So there was nothing in between, and there was no continuity of what was going on. It was either, you know, we're going to go uh, crash or crash through, that's it, and otherwise, you know, ball's gone, turned over, as you say, lots of turnovers. Mm. They, uh, they're not looking like a team that even if they do make the finals, which has got to be doubtful, that is going to make any impact on the season. Yeah, I was going to say that now. I mean, so I think where this puts it now is the Brumbies are on 50 points, uh, having played 13. The Reds have played 14 are on 45. Um, so, yeah, that's, that gap is starting, you know, from we thought a couple, you know, was it just a week or so ago, we thought it could have changed hands, and, and now it's, it's starting to look something pretty solid, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I suppose if you level it up, you know the the Reds are carrying those four points for the bye that the Brumbies have already had. So the gap is you know is really one point when you consider those four are in the bank. But then you look at the run home. Um, the Reds they're going to have to win both their remaining games. Um, pretty sure they've only got two games to go. They've got the Rebels and they've got the Waratahs. You know they're going to have to get nine points out of those two games to be half a chance. So they need to come out and get a bonus point victory against um, the Rebels on Saturday night to be anywhere near it. And I, I, don't, I can't see the Brumbies now faltering enough not to win the Australian Conference. So the Reds are now in a battle with you know, some of those teams that you don't want to be in a battle with, the Crusaders, um, the Cheetahs, who are you know, going along quite nicely, sitting on the same number of points as them, and they've got a game in hand. Um, Sharks are out of it, they're gone. Blues, the Blues are right there as well. Uh, I don't think the Waratahs are going to be a threat. I think the Waratahs are, are a spoiler. And that, that last game, Waratahs and Reds, well, that could be the clincher. Yeah. yeah. It, it always seems to come down to that one, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's a bit of a worry that, I mean, I didn't think... We talked about the Waratahs just hitting the same brick wall and doing nothing different. And now we're talking about the Reds hitting the Stormers' defence and really doing nothing different. Mm. And they make up a massive percentage of the Wallabies' 25. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, so, so the two teams, that, or the three teams that did well, really only the Brumbies have got any significant number in that 25 squad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bit of a worry. So, yeah, that's the Stormers' 20, Reds' 15. Uh, I, you know, I think Sully, who reviewed it, found it hard to find anyone who stepped out with a performance in that game. 
Yeah, I, I was the same. I mm. mean, look, Liam Gill still played well. Mm. Um, thought Horwell, you know, did all right. James Slipper, actually, he, he was a standout. Yeah. He, he is, well, I think he's the form, um, one of the form forwards, actually, mm-hmm. given his scrummaging is much better this year um, and his work around the park, fantastic for a tight head prop. Yeah, or a guy playing tight head at the moment. So he was good. Um, gee, it's hard to find too many more. Yeah. Okay. As I said, I, look, I thought Quade Cooper played reasonably well. The interesting thing I thought with Quade was Robbie Deans has been coming out and saying, you know, I'd like to see less of the the silly offloads. I'd like to see less mistakes. You know, I'd like to see less adventure. Um, he's got the message clearly. I thought he actually amped it up this week. <laughs> he's trying round the back passes. He's trying you know, all sorts of things. And if if they all stick, would have been fantastic. But there were mistakes. Not just they weren't Quade mistakes. They were guys outside him dropping the ball as well. Mm. But he didn't play like a guy who has said, "All right, I've got to show Robbie Deans that I can play a more measured game." He almost looked like he said, "Well." This is my game. Take it or leave it. If you're going to leave it, bad luck. I'll just play the way I'm going to play. Yeah, I mean, I and if, but if there's any team that you would have not have done that against, surely it was the Stormers. Well, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Because you know you're just going to run into a blanket, like you know they'll do that all day, and they did. Um, yeah. If you can't, well, that's, make, that's you, the biggest concern for me with the Reds mm. is that their game plans this year. Sorry, that may not be right. We don't know what the game plans are. Yeah, whether they're execution on yeah, field. Mm of game plans has been haphazard. It's been all over the place. Yeah. No, it definitely has. Okay. And then the one team, uh, the last game on that weekend then was the uh, Bulls and the... Uh, where are they? Sharks. The Bulls. Yeah, Bulls and the Sharks. And I understand if you didn't see that game, you didn't miss much. It was 18-16 to the Sharks. Um, so <laughs> One try. Yeah, a bit of a grinder apparently. And the Bulls won it with six penalties, no tries. Oh, there you go. <laughs> One for the purists, as, 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 as the phrase goes. All righty. Um, okay, so look, I think we've, we've kind of already done the news. That's kind of looking back at it. Um, so let's, I'll race through what the, um, what the matchups are this weekend. So on Friday, it's uh, the Waratahs away at the Crusaders in, for the afternoon game. Um, uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Jeez, I, again, I, I would have thought with what Woodward just talked about, um, I would have thought the Crusaders would look to do exactly the same thing to the Tars, wouldn't they? Yeah, and look, they're really good at that. Mm. They're great at the breakdown. Kieran Reed's back as well mm. um, and was in pretty good form the other night. For the Crusaders, this is probably, well, it is for both teams. It's a must win. Yeah. Whichever team loses this, it's probably... Well, it's the end of the road if the Waratahs lose this, mm. without doubt. It's going to make it difficult for the Crusaders if they lose it. So mm. I think Crusaders will be desperate and probably more desperate at home than the Waratahs. Yeah, it's hard to see it. But, I mean, it'd be quite a fairy tale if the Tars could do it. I think it would say a lot about the team. And, geez, it wouldn't half help uh, the Reds if the Crusaders... Oh, it'd be massive for the Reds. If, if, the, <laughs> if the Crusaders could be taken down a peg. But um, anyway, and then it would be a classic Australian story if the Waratahs did this and then managed to beat, you know, to help the Reds and then beat the Reds in the last <laughs> to deny. Well, them. well, that's the problem. The yeah. only way the Waratahs are going to get in 
is to beat the Reds mm. in the last match. Mm. If, they, if can... they beat the Reds in the if they if they won everything else, yeah. if they beat the Reds in the last match, then the Reds would miss out mm. as well, and the Waratahs still may not get there. So, you know, by both the Waratahs and the Reds losing on the weekend, we're in danger of only having one Australian team in the finals. Mm. Which yeah. uh, two weeks ago, I mean, I was looking at it thinking there's a possibility we get three. No, I think we're fighting for one now. Well, we know we can get one, right? So, but we, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we'll be lucky. Um, more than that, if if the Reds keep playing like this. Um, all righty, so Crusaders, Waratahs, and then Brumbies hosting the Hurricanes at uh, Canberra Stadium. I'd hope that the Brumbies can pull out another good performance here. Yeah, I hope this isn't a banana skin game mm. for the Brumbies. Um, Hurricanes have been going reasonably well. Conrad Smith's back this week. You know, we uh, the way the the way the Brumbies played on the weekend. You'd have to think that they go into this favourites at home, so they should be fine. Mm. And I think they win this, then they're home in the Australian Conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this is their their game if they get that done. They're through. Yeah. So there's pretty powerful motivation for them. Okay. Saturday, we've then got Highlanders Blues. So that's and, uh, and from an Australian point of view, come on the Highlanders. Yeah. <laughs> well, golf. They're one of those teams that you—they've cost me a few tipping points just because you think they can't keep doing, can't keep losing, but they've managed to. Anyway, yeah, if they could put one over the Blues, that'd be nice. Um, then we got the Reds hosting the Rebels. So yeah, I think what you said earlier there puts a bit of pressure on the Reds here, thinking, oh, we need five points, and they just you know fall more more into the heap like they did last weekend, maybe. Well, particularly with the Rebels' defence, the mm. Rebels' defence was so good against the Waratahs. Mm. If the Reds go out with a ball-in-hand game plan, let's throw it around, move it around like they were trying to do, they could fall into the trap here. Mm. I, um, I, I mean, I, I would not say... I, I think the Reds are probably favourites because it's at home. Mm. Um, but uh, this is going to be a close game. Yeah. And this the talk about banana skins. This right. is it for the Reds. If the Reds were to lose this, well, then I think they're gone. Yeah. So uh, there'll be a lot of pressure on them, and it'll be interesting to see how Will and Quaid handle it in particular, and, and James Hall. I mean, again, James Hall as ca- captain of the Reds. There's been lots of talk you know, over the last month or six weeks, take the shot at penalty or not. And to me, that seems a little bit all over, over the place. Mm-hmm. There were a number of occasions on the weekend where I thought, you know, the momentum was there, Go for touch, um, and it seemed to be on the weekend all one thing. We're only going to kick for goal, and then we go back to the the uh, Brumbies game and the Blues game, and it's we we're only going to kick for touch. There was no changing things based on what's happening in the game. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a yeah, another another little cause for worry. I tend to think though that. Um, you know, the Rebels have been doing really well at home. So, you know, I think that kind of spirit that that uh, team without the stars draws upon from the crowd really helps. Maybe, like you say, without that at Suncor, that they just might not be able to keep that up for the full 80, but we'll see what happens there. Mate, listen, enough. It's Suncorp. <laughs> it's not Suncorp. You're Mate. not in England anymore. Mate, come on, you've got to, you've got to know when to drop the P's. So it's, it's, um, it's the French pronunciation of Suncorp. 
you know, the, the really, I think the main talking point out of this game mm. is going to be Jock versus Quaid. Well, indeed, yes. That's going to be an yeah. interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, because it, it would appear that James O'Connor will be back. Right. Um, I'm, I've got no doubt that he'll be playing 10 for the Rebels. I'm sure that if uh, James O'Connor hasn't asked Damien Hill already, what, Robbie Deans would have been on the phone saying, I want him playing 10. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the both of them do. Indeed. Yeah, that's, that will be fascinating. I think, to your point, I think, though, that just puts even more pressure on Quaid, doesn't it, to, to ramp it up even further? Oh, we see, that's where I, looking at the way he played on the weekend, I don't think he gives a, you know, a toss about um, if he's not going to be selected now. Mm. If he did, I think he would have played a more conservative game. I think he's now saying, I'll play my way. If I get selected, I get selected. Mm. And I, look, I think that in overall, that's the best way to play. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to please too many masters. You know, he's trying to play with the Reds who play a different way to the way Robbie Deans wants the Wallabies to play, you get yourself lost very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, he's either going to be selected for what he is or not. So I don't know that, you know, trying to please Robbie Deans is putting the pressure on. Yeah, although I do think that, yeah, I think it's more of something else, which would be, it's not, that's not so much the driver for pressure in my head. Like, for example, I thought when he played, when they played against the Sharks, and it was a more of a measured game, but he still, you know, when, when, when it was on, and like you said, I mean, the Fords were delivering what he needed. Um, he didn't feel like he needed to do everything, right? Um, I just wonder, like last weekend, he started to get into that space that he used to do, you know, with the Wallabies uh, around World Cup time and stuff like that, where he felt he had just had to make stuff happen the whole time. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't see the problem from the weekend being Quaid's problem. Yeah. I, I saw it as being the forwards not doing the work for him to be able to sit back yeah. and look more obje- objectively at the game. And his reaction, as you quite rightly say, was to say, well, no one else is doing it. I've got to do it. Mm. I've got to create some magic. And the problem with the Reds is there's not a lot of other magic around at the moment. No. You know, no. you look at their back line and, you know, Digby wasn't there. So that takes away a lot of their threat. I thought Rod Davies was pretty good. Um, is- he... Is it just form with, with, with Ben Tapawai or or is he injured at the moment? No, it's just form. Because in the first half of the season, he brought a lot of that. He did. Um, he brought a lot of the sparkle. He did, but then he, uh, he, his form really did fall away. Mm. Um, it's interesting, you know, that they haven't gone back to what's worked for them in the past with Tapawai at 12 and Ant Fyinga at 13. Mm. Um yeah, and they've messed around a bit, you know. Like John O'Lance was out last week, um, or sorry, not this week, just gone the week before that. And you know that takes their ten and fifteen, the way they run their ten and fifteen, so that Quay can go to the back. That messed that up. They had to bring um, Luke Morahan in at the back, uh, who's a good player, but they just haven't got the combinations going. And also, what I think's happening is they're disjointed between the forwards and backs. They're not working as one unit at the moment. And and the guy who links them together is the halfback. And look, I, I don't think Will's in great form at the moment. Mm. Okay. So anyway, it's all on the line. It'll be fascinating to see what happens. I completely agree. I completely agree with you that matchup. It's going to be fascinating. And I reckon that they will both 
overplay their hand like crazy. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. One thing we know for sure, the forum will be a buzz on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> with with you know everybody seeing it their way as to yeah. You know, there that that shows you why uh, yeah. Wade should have been ten, or Jock shouldn't have been ten, or. Well, I, I, you know, I think what's been fascinating to watch is the way that general opinion has started to shift. Um, I would have said a few weeks ago, well, a few weeks ago, everyone was up in arms, right? When when it was first, so when the logistics squad was announced, the world was going to fall in because Quade wasn't picked, um, and no one would believe that he wasn't going to be picked. And it's been really interesting to watch the, the pendulum shift now. There's, if you look at some of the comments on, in, the, in the blog and the forum and things like that, people are starting to say, guys, come on, let's move on. It's all about you know, James O'Connor now. Um, and you know, I'm not even saying, I'm you know, just staying out of that argument for a minute, but there's just an interesting mood shift that's happening. And it's, it's been, I think, also driven in some of the mainstream media. It's been very interesting watching. As soon as some of those announcements were made, you saw the stories that were kind of seeded that started talking about all the deficiencies that Quaid's got and what, what James O'Connor brings and all these sorts of things. So it's been a very, it's been a fascinating journey, I think, um, to see how that's changed, considering we're talking about a guy who I think's played one Wallaby cap um, at 10 ever. Um, oh, yeah. And is suddenly, you know, um, everyone's saying he's, he's the solid 10 choice. So anyway, it's, it's fascinating just to see uh, well, how things What change. I found... This is the one thing, and I almost wrote an article during the week, and then I decided, no, look, I'm, I'm sort of over all this. Yeah. Um, because as you know, for a while, I've, say, I've been saying Quaid wouldn't be picked, and, and I've been saying Jock would be the 10. Um, from about three or four months ago, I was saying that. Mm. Um, what, I, what fascinated me was that Robbie Deans felt the need to come out and justify um, why he didn't pick Quaid, and he started running out statistics. Well, it, it, you know, no matter the fact that I disagree and a number of, you know, lots of people disagree with him, mm. he's the Wallaby coach. He doesn't have to answer to us. Mm. We can all type away all day on the blogs and on the forum and, you know, say we don't, we don't agree, but I found it extraordinary that the Wallaby coach started trying to defend himself with some of the numbers. Mm. You know, and there was a leak to Brett Harris with some of the stats. And I looked at some of the stats, particularly on the offload, and the, and the thing that I, I almost put um, into an article was if you look at the offload, sorry, the, the turnovers, not the offloads, you look at the turnovers per 80 minutes played, of the top seven players in the competition that have played more than four games, so you know, not guys who've come off the bench, um, six of them are in the 25. And and the guy who's made more turnovers per eighty minutes than even Quaid, Quaid's only number two. Mm. Digby Uani. Yeah. And then you go, oh, okay, so hang on. Robbie Deans is coming out saying the turnovers are a problem. Well Digby Uani's making more turnovers per eighty minutes than Quaid Cooper. Yeah. And then you say, oh, okay, the the missed tackles, Quaid's getting eighty three percent. Well I've got Digby at seventy six percent. So he's Digby's making more turnovers and missing more tackles than Quaid is. So it's just a nonsense argument that we can all have because we're just, you know, we're amateurs and couch critics. Hmm. But I, I thought it was extraordinary that the Wallaby coach decided to sort of get involved in the argument and start justifying his decision. Well, surely, surely the bigger one, which didn't even have any any real, well, if semi 
facts behind them anyway was then his assertion that the whole reason Ben Tapawai's game's gone is is due to Quaid. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah. I mean, and what that did was to take his argument from being analytical to, mm. you know, well, I was amazed that a coach would say that about mm. a player that's been in his squad mm. and is on the fringe of his squad now. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, what, what was, and like I said, that's, that linked to me as well around the timing of it all. And all those things we talked about, you know, potential, you know, the leaking of, of, of what that squad was going to look like and, and all those sorts. And, and the, the email, yeah, you know, you know, and all those sorts of things. It, you, you look at it and you choreograph it and you go, someone sat down in a room and has just drawn this out. And then you looked at the stories that then got um, pumped into the, the uh, rugby heaven, um, where on one day it was all about how bad Quaid was. Um, and then it turned into um, how good uh, James O'Connor was, and then it went on to Barrick Barnes being a great player as well. And it was just day after day um, across yeah. a number of journos, and it was just like, this just looks like somebody's media spreadsheet being played out in public. Yeah, and then you've got Link and Jake White also having their say as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's all become very political, hasn't it? Uh, um, mm. it's, it's not, there's no decorum about it. Everyone's fighting through the media to get their stats out. Mm. No, fascinating. Um, so, oh, what is that? So, anyways, that so we just left us talking about the Reds and the Rebels. So it's all it's going to be fascinating to watch that one. Then it's Stormers, Kings overnight, and the Cheaters and the Bulls. So a few of those. So, well, we, we, so we need the Bulls to beat the Cheaters. Yes, yeah, need them to get get uh, pulled down a peg. Because the Bulls are going to win the conference, so mm-hmm. we want them to win. And the Cheaters are one of the threats to. The Reds and the Waratahs. Indeed. Yeah, we could do with the Cheetahs being knocked down a peg or two. Um, alrighty, now look, the, the, the only thing, so that's, so that's the next games. Now, the one thing I asked, we said um, a little while ago we'd uh, ask people for input. And uh, I got some today, um, and I'd encourage people to please do it. We've got the widget in the sidebar um, where you can just record, um, you know, comments, questions, uh, whatever you want. Uh, for us to play here. I've, I've got one here. I don't, he hasn't written his name, so I can't tell you who it is. Obviously, he'll know who it is um, when I play the recording here. Um, but I'm going to play it now, and um, he's, he's, got, he's got a question for us, which I'm not sure whether we can answer, actually, Scott. So it might be something we ask people to put in the, question, in the, in the comments, but here we go. What are we going to call the Lions supporters? We need something tongue-in-cheek that describes them all and is also quite insulting. Um, I've come up with the pale skins, um, but I'm open to suggestions. So there we go. We've got um, somebody who wants us to come up with something that's tongue-in-cheek, yet insulting at the same time to call Lions supporters. His, off the top of the head, suggestion is, is, is the pale skins. Um, what do you reckon, Scott? Have you got any? Oh, right. So what? Like, they'll probably call us something like the convicts. Exactly. So what can we call them that relates back to like they're the they're the coppers or something something derogatory like that? <laughs> well, know. we'd see that as derogatory. <laughs> other 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 civilizations <laughs> might not. The jailers? Um, <laughs> no, jeez. You see, I'm no good at this. So. Soap dodgers. I mean, that's soap. No, well, soap dodgers is already gone. <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess it's not new, but neither is convicts. Um, anyway, we'll we'll open that up um, to everybody. The other one that I've opened up to people is, you know, with, with Dylan Hartley gone now, who's going to be our media uh, scapegoat? So there you go, guys. Um, give us your suggestions and uh, we'll uh, either write about them or talk about them in next week's podcast. Also, we're looking for who's the biggest tool 
on the Lions tour. Well, you see, it, it, it might be that. Or on Twitter, somebody suggested we get stuck into Owen Farrell. Um, and oh, well, every time he goes for a goal kick, you see how he moves his hair out of the way? Yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah. That, so there's the fact that he's too good-looking, he's too talented, um, and he could well turn into a um, you know Johnny Wilkinson in the future. So the idea is let's get him on the ground floor. So uh, let's say he's only there because his dad's the coach. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, so yeah, there's, there's, there might be some thought there that maybe he hasn't done anything to really earn himself it, but maybe it's a, it's a good long-term bet um, to, to have a go at him. But anyway, anyone's got any thinking, let us know. I think I might have somebody um, uh, writing something for us from up north as well on that, so he might have some suggestions. Um, otherwise, I would just say... Um, well, thanks for joining me again, mate. It's been another good hit out. It's been good. Um, really enjoyable. So next, this time next week, mm. we will have seen the Lions' first game. Jeez, yeah, and we'll be getting ready for the force. And then, then we've got the, the Reds just on that weekend. I can't believe it. I'm getting excited now. I'm getting excited just talking to you about it. Because, <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be up in Brizzy. Yes, for the first test. Yeah, indeed. Well, no, no, not the first test, the Reds game. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm coming up, mate. How, oh, okay. How's your sofa? How's the springs in it? Mate, there's a spare room here. <sighs> Done. Okay. <laughs> kind of you to make the offer. Um, <laughs> you have to put up with me, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's downsides to, to, to everything. But uh, no, good to have, Well, we could, you know, we'll be able to do one of those. Everyone loves our late night drunken podcasts. Um, oh, yeah, we from... could. After the game, we could do a drunken podcast from my office at home. Exactly, exactly. Everyone would love one of those. Um, all right, mate. Look, good to talk to you. Thanks, everybody, for downloading. Um, we're going to probably look to start to up the frequency of some of these uh, as through the lines. Otherwise, we won't be able to keep up with things. I mean, Yeah, we did talk about going to two a week, didn't we? So. Yeah, so oof, somehow we'll have to find time for that. They might become a bit shorter, but, uh, but more regular. So um, anyway, keep your eyes peeled for, for when they're out and about. Um, but otherwise, thanks for downloading, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Yeah. 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 Right there, right there.